unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, coming up on this week's show, we will do a postmortem on the college football season that just concluded with the Bulldogs winning the national championship. ESPN's Rini and Colia will join me to review all of that and more. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Man, what a wild finish to the first Week 18, Game 17 of the National Football League season. And man, the drama was uh, pretty big out there. Uh, Early in the afternoon, we had the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars taking down the Indianapolis Colts, who laid a big egg. All they had to do was win to get in the playoffs, and they had to do that really the last, they could have done that over their last two games and failed. So that gave new life to the Steelers and the Ravens. The Steelers end up knocking off the Ravens, and they are in the driver's seat. But wait, there's more. The Sunday night game, San Diego and Las Vegas. You know, there have been jokes about, uh, you know, about a tie game, because if that game ended a tie, both teams would get in. And then the Steelers would have been the on the outside looking in on that scenario. And, you know, it's, oh, yeah, they'll take knees for 60 minutes and in the overtime and we'll have a tie game and they'll both get it. You know, of course, no teams in the right mind would would do that. But boy, <laughs> it came down to the wire <laughs> in a wild game in which uh, and of course, I said San Diego. <laughs> It was the L.A. Chargers. I still think of them as San Diego. Yes, so let me correct that part. So the Chargers got down early, and they came back, made a game of it. They go to overtime. The teams exchange field goals, so nobody could get that touchdown to put it away on the first drive. And then the Raiders were actually going to run out the clock until the Chargers called timeout. 38 seconds left, so they gave it another run, got into field goal range, kicked the game-winning field goal as time ran out. You know, Mike Tomlin, the Steelers head coach, had said that uh, he had fallen asleep. Could you imagine if he were like woken up, you know, and and he's looking and sees the score tied? Can you imagine what he would have would have done? Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's crazy stuff. But uh, that brings up an interesting scenario. You know, should a tie game have that kind of influence in a tiebreaker situation? Maybe the last week of the year you have to play sudden death. That it's it's that it really you know comes down to that. But who knows? But uh, interesting stuff there. And then we had the Rams and the 49ers battling. Rams playing for playoff seating. The 49ers playing, trying to get in. Uh, the Saints won their game, so they had a shot at getting in. Had the Rams won. But then the Niners pulled the game out, and wow, interesting stuff there. So it was a a, a great finish there as far as uh, the regular season is concerned. And now we move on to the playoffs. Super wild card weekend, two games Saturday, three Sunday, and a first ever Monday night game that takes place in that deal. And more Aaron Rodgers drama, which I, you know I detest talking about. But now the problem is, and I probably, the, probably the problem has always been that the media heightens this stuff up because 
they're looking for clicks and eyeballs and all that stuff. And we, the viewing audience in the sports world, fall for it every time. You know, they, the Hub Arkush thing uh, last week, about saying he wouldn't vote for him for MVP because of his, uh, his off-the-field drama. And then, of course, we get uh, this uh, little deal on WFAN where Boomer Esiason gets a text from a, quote, confidential trusted source that he lets his co-host read on the air saying that Aaron Rodgers will, if they get to Super Bowl, will threaten to boycott the Super Bowl if they don't change the COVID protocols. And I guess over time it was kind of revealed that uh, that those guys were getting pranked by somebody. So again, you know, people go into the air with stuff with nothing that is really substantiated. And we get this stuff and in, in then... Now we have Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show every week getting to uh, uh, fire back at his critics, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, Pat McAfee's not going to take Aaron Rodgers to task. He's right there to be, you know, uh, prop his boy up and let him do his thing. And so, yeah, this uh, stuff just can, you know, if the media would stop with the nonsense and you know, let's get factual stories and actually do this thing the right way. All right, let's put a capper on the college football season. And as always, it is a pleasure to have from ESPN, Rini Angolia. Rini, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you as well. And, uh, so let's get your initial thoughts on the national championship game in which Georgia defeats Alabama on Monday night to become the national champion in a repeat of the SEC championship game. But this time the dogs come out on top. Uh, give me your assessment of the finale. Yeah, you know, usually when two good teams play in the regular season, of course, this time it was the SEC championship. I always give the advantage to the team that lost. I just think they make the appropriate adjustments and, and they kind of get, you know, woken up really of what happened. And I think that was the case uh, with Georgia. Now in this game, I just, I was one of those guys like I am not betting against Alabama because you just get burned too many times. So I thought Bama would pull it out, but it did not surprise me one bit that, that Georgia ended up winning the game. It was a very physical game between two really good teams. And I just think, and fourth quarter, as, as, as Nick Saban told Kirby Smart, they, they kind of, Georgia kicked Alabama's butt. Uh, they got after it, and they deserved that win. And there's no doubt that the lack of, uh, you know, with Jamison Williams getting hurt and uh, no Mechie definitely hurt Alabama. But, again, you can't take anything away from Georgia. They deserved it. And it's funny. It's like it's nice to see a new champion in there, right? But, of course, it's still an SEC team, so there's going to be a lot of haters out there still not happy. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in, in talk about the uh, job Kirby Smart has done there. I mean, you look at the fact that, uh, you know, he's had to be second fiddle to Alabama for quite some time, and to finally beat the mentor is, is a big deal. And I think it, this was an important year, right, because Georgia was so dominant, and they were favored in all their games, and I think they were the overwhelming favorite to win it all. Um, and we saw kind of all the issues that Alabama had in the regular season. Of course, the loss at Texas A&M to Jimbo Fisher, and then you know some some close games. And of course, I mean they were oh so close. I mean they were they were running back staying in bounds right in a game of not even 
being in the national championship with, or the playoff itself. So we saw the issues Alabama had, so you thought to yourself, okay, this is the year uh, that Georgia's going to get them. And then to see what Alabama did to Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think it took everyone uh, Everyone took a step back and was like, okay, wow, here we go. But again, I think that, that kind of punch in the mouth woke Georgia up and – kind of said, okay, we're good, too. We're loaded. We have a lot of five-star guys. And I think, you know, the question that everyone was asking, well, is Stetson Bennett the, the quarterback that can lead them to the championship? And he, he proved everyone that, yes, he was, made some great plays on Monday night and really led that team. And so this was the year I think Kirby needed to get Alabama and Nick Saban, and he did it. And so he's in a good position moving forward. But I, I tell you, as we as we take the way, way, way too early look to next season, um, it's going to be the haves again, not the have-nots, right? It's going to be the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Texas A&Ms, uh, the Ohio States. They're going to be there, and then we're going to have to see who can come up from behind and maybe uh, come out of nowhere. Yeah, and you know, let's talk a little bit about the semifinals beforehand because you know Cincinnati got a crack at Alabama. They got a crack at the college football playoff. I thought they acquitted themselves pretty well. I know there's going to be some people see, you let the G5 in, they couldn't get it done. But, you know, as far as Cincinnati goes, I thought their defense did as best they could. The offense did not give them any help. And I was really surprised the Bearcats did not take advantage of Desmond Ritter's mobility more in that game. Yeah, no, listen, Cincinnati showed they belong, okay? Like, almost everybody in the semifinal that, that Bama's beaten, they, they've blown out, so... You know, let, let's just get that right off the table. I mean, Cincinnati belonged. What that game showed me and should have showed everyone, I mean, I, I knew it. The biggest issue right now between Group of Five and Power Five, bar none, is depth, right? Cincinnati's got a lot of good players on the team. The Alabamas, uh, the Georgias have all, have multiple, multiple good players, right? They come after you in waves. Um, and Cincy just can't do that. And the other thing that, that really differentiates Group of Five to Power Five is that interior line play up front, right? Alabama really, when they played a good defensive front, had issues this year running the ball. Uh, they had no problem pushing Cincinnati off the line and establishing that run. But again, Cincinnati's secondary was really good, right? Really kept uh, Bryce Young in check. Uh, but I'm with you, Jeff. I think if you look at Alabama's defenses uh, that have had issues in the past, notoriously, it, it's with a quarterback that can make plays with his feet. And not necessarily called runs, but that, that spontaneous, right, extending a play, it's third and six, okay, I can pick it up with my feet. And, yes, I think Desmond Ritter needed to do more of that. Easier said than done, right, against that very good Alabama defensive front. But, uh, but, but again, I, I think uh, Cincinnati acquitted themselves uh, well and showed that the group of five can be there now. You know, it's a whole different conversation the system isn't set up for the group of five i know we've talked about that others have talked about it so let's let's hope our let's keep our fingers crossed that that the powers to be can get their egos in check and do what's right for college football and expand this thing to 12 teams yeah that would be a wonderful thing and and of course michigan you know made it to the final four and you know it's 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 kind of uncanny to think that you know midway through the season people will wonder if jim harbaugh is still going to be around as the michigan coach and, you know, he finally gets the marquee win against Ohio State, you know, wins the Big Ten and, and gets to the and gets to the college football playoff. So it was really, you know, a, a, a landmark year for him and in, in, in what he's trying to do with that program. Yeah. Well, and the irony is 
he may not still be around <laughs> because there's so many NFL jobs. And, and I, you know, I don't think it's a, a secret that I think he's always got his eye on the NFL. He's just geared for it. So it would not surprise me one bit if he got offered one of these jobs, whether it's the Dolphins, uh, you know, where, wherever, uh, New York Giants, I, I've heard his name thrown around. It would not surprise me. Um, but he had a good year. He did what he needed to do. And really, Jim Harbaugh, he kind of flew under the radar. He was quiet, you know, in the beginning of the year. He gave back a lot of money, and he restructured his contract, and he did a lot of good things. And he, he wasn't making big news and waves. He just played. His team played excellent, uh, good physical football. Beat Ohio State, something that he hadn't done, right, that he just talked about, and got him to the playoff. Now they ran into a really good Georgia team, right? That, that, that game is what really surprised me. I thought Georgia would win the game, but I thought it would be closer. I thought the physicality of Michigan would keep them in a little more, but I think the difference was not only is Georgia a physical team, you just see from top to bottom uh, the speed of that team in, in all facets, and I think that, that made a difference. But it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. But again, I think the Michigan fans were really happy with Jim Harbaugh and, and, and what they did this season. Yeah, most definitely, and you know, of course, you, you you did mention you know more hopeful of expansion of the college football playoff. You know, it, it it is it is interesting because while I want to see that expansion, you know, we will see more of the SEC in that expansion as well. And you talk about and you talk about the the Alabamas and the Georgias. You're you know, college football has become such an arms race. And you look at what these schools have as far as the money that's poured in by their boosters, the facilities they have. Um, it makes it tough for even the rest of the teams in that conference to keep up with those two teams. Well, it is. And now with NIL, right? So you got money thrown at these players from all different directions, right? And it's really the wild, wild west because there's really nothing governing it. Um, so that kind of needs to get curtailed. I don't know if it's gonna, but yeah, it, it, it the, I talked about it in the beginning, right? You get the haves and the haves nots and the haves are just, they're just building. And really, uh, the funny thing is Texas A&M and depending on which recruiting service you look at. But I think every one of them has Texas A&M rated number one uh, with their recruiting class. I mean, I, I, I was down at the Under Armour All-America game practices a few weeks ago at Rural Sports. I was on the field uh, and Bama, or excuse me, A&M had 15 players in that game, 15 players in that game going to A&M. I mean, it's just, it's crazy the, um, the amount of top, you know, five-star, four-star, four-star recruits that are going to these programs. And the thing is, the luxury is, Jeff, when, when you can do that, you can miss on guys, right? So if you have 15 five-stars, right, mm-hmm. you know, maybe three, four, five of them don't work out. Well, you still got 10 more. <laughs> you know, when you're a group of five team or a, or a, 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 a power five that's you know, not really up there towards the middle, you know, maybe you get one or two five-stars, right? Maybe, right? Maybe you get four stars. You can't miss on those guys because you don't have a lot. So when you miss on them, you're in trouble. I mean, it just so that and that's where I think they have the advantage. They just have so many more players to work with in those programs. So you know, it, it'll be interesting. And, and the thing with the, the twelve teams, yeah, you, we may get three or four or five SEC teams in it if that happens. But guess what? You're still going to get seven other teams, right? You're still going to get other teams a chance in there. Um, to play, and I think that makes a big difference. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, but I do think it will happen eventually. Um, I just don't know how soon. Yeah. 
Well, I also want to get your thoughts, of course, since uh, we spoke last. You know, UCF took on Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl, sold out stadium, which was great for, for that bowl. And UCF got the job done beating Big Brother uh, from Gainesville in that game. Can you put into words what you think that means for UCF? Yeah, I mean, I went to the game. I, I went to the game as a fan, right? So uh, the atmosphere was electric, as you said. A lot of UCF fans there. And, oh, by the way, there was a lot of Gator fans there, right? So, I mean, it was an important game. Um, you know, the Gator fans knew it was one of those games where if we beat UCF, it's like, okay, we're supposed to beat them, even though our, our, uh, our, our coach is gone and we have some quarterback issues, we're still supposed to win that game. And God forbid if we lose it, we're never going to hear the end of it. Well, God forbid they did lose it. Um, I think it was just it was an important game just kind of mentally, right, for the program, for UCF as a program, just to say, hey, we beat an SEC team. We beat Florida. Um, you know, we can do it. It's going to help in recruiting, as Gus Malzahn said. Um, so I think it was a huge win for him. And as many injuries as UCF had this year, and they had – not only a lot of injuries, but injuries to very key players on that team. They kept fighting through, and you look back, nine wins, a bowl win over a Florida, very successful first season for Gus Malzahn, no doubt about it. Yeah, and, and of course, I think they got to be really thrilled. Isaiah Bowser's coming back, and I know as a running back yourself that you love hard-nosed guys like that, and he is such a tremendous difference maker. I think they win more than nine games if he if he's healthy all year. Yeah, he was a huge loss. There's no doubt about it. I don't want to say he was the biggest because, I mean, Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback position, really, everything stems from there. I mean, you have to have a standout quarterback, but if if – the loss of Gabriel was 1A. Bowser is, is, is 1A-. minus. I mean, that's how important he was. And you saw what he did, right, in that Florida game. And it, it also showed you that offensive line did a nice job. And I really think the offensive line kind of underachieved during the year. There was moments. But, of course, when you have a Bowser back there running the ball, that helps the offensive line out tremendously. So that is a huge thing that Bowser is coming back. And, of course, uh, John Reese Plumley, right? We see him in the transfer portal. He's coming to UCF, and people might say, well, he's a wide receiver. Well, got a funny feeling he's going to go back to quarterback, and he's going to be a quarterback under Gus, Gus Malzahn's system. So, um, again, recruiting is going to be good for UCF. The transfer portal is going to be good. So they're in a good position as they get ready to, to transfer uh, out of the, uh, the American onto the Big 12 here in the next couple of seasons. Well, and let me get your thoughts on the transfer portal. Now that we've seen this, you know, uh, immediate transfer take place over the last couple of years, where do you stand on that uh, with, you know, with the, with basically free agency in college football? Yeah, it's out of control. So, I mean, I understand it. So the issue was the money started getting crazy, right? So the TV money, TV revenue was, was nuts. So now what happens? The coaches start getting crazy money, right? So... And then the players weren't getting money, right? So that's always been talked about. So they knew something had to happen. So NIL gets passed. And so now that's kind of like the wild, wild west we talked about. There's no regulations, really. There is, but, you know, behind the scenes, it's like it's nuts. Same thing now with the transfer portal. So they had to put the transfer portal in there. So you had the COVID issue, right, on top of let's give the players, the kids, you know, more autonomy, more freedom to do stuff. Um, so they said, well, we're going to do transfer portal, one-time transfer, but it's been nuts because I, I was just reading an article the other day. If you count Division One FBS along with uh, FCS, Division Two and Division Three, 
there was over 4,000 players in the transfer portal. And I want to say about 28 or 2,900 were from FBS alone. I mean, there's just nowhere for all these players to go. And you hit on it. It is like free agency, but it's like free agency with no limits, right? There's no, it's all year round. I mean, you could be, and you saw it this year, Utah starting quarterback, started a couple games. They decided to go with the next guy. Well, that week, well, I'm going to transfer. I'm going to the portal. So it puts programs in a bind, um, and it's still going to be putting them in a bind because you're going to be in training camp this year. Um, you know, mark my words, it's going to happen. There's going to be a quarterback battle, and you know, a week before the season, they're going to say we're going to start. You know, Jimmy and Johnny's going to say, okay, I'm transferring, and so now you lose a good backup. So that to me, that it's as far as it, you get why the quarterbacks want to transfer, right? Because if you're a really good backup, you say to yourself, well, there's a program out there I can play at. So you understand that. The problems that the, the coaches are going to have and the programs are going to have, it's going to be really hard to keep quality backups now in your programs unless you can get a, a, a Mac Jones, right, that's willing to stay and learn and play behind some guys. But it's going to be really tough. So I, I don't think they can pull back uh, on the transfer portal. I think they're going to have to leave it the way it is with one-time transfer. But what they can do is set some limitations, right, of when you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. Have some uh, some blackout periods where, hey, you know it's transferring now. There's no portal. You can't enter it at this time. You know, this certain time of the year, you can go into the portal. I think that's what the NCAA has to do. Um, step up, please, and do something. Um, and just try, try to corral it a little bit. Because right now, again, that's out of control. And that only hurts the players. So when you're a player and you get mad at your coach or your position coach and maybe you're third on the depth chart and then, you know, your, your parents or your handlers or whoever's in your ear are saying, oh, your coaches are jerks, it's not you, you should be starting, they immediately jump in a transfer portal instead of saying, hey, you know what, maybe your coach is right. You need to work a little harder. You need to have a little better attitude and you need to fight for your playing time. We're losing that, right? Because players are immediately going to the transfer portal. And guess what? There's not enough spots for all these guys. You know, there's going to be spots for quarterbacks, no doubt about it. You know, programs are going to find spots for quarterbacks and, and some top quality players. But for the most part, there's guys that are going to go in that portal and they're just going to get lost. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, and you brought up Mac Jones, and I think that's a great study in that in that respect because, you know, he had to wait his turn behind Tua, behind uh, Hertz. And he finally got his chance. And to me, it's like, okay, he could have left, gone to another pro, a lesser program, and played a lot. Would he have developed as well as he did staying at Alabama? You know, it's a it's a great question. Well, and, and, and on the same team, right, Brian Robinson, the running back. I mean, he's five years it took him to start. And he talked about he, he contemplated uh, transferring, but he stayed behind all those running backs, and then he has a – unbelievable year this year and so you know as he looks back and he's got a national championship ring from last year so i I think if he had to do over he'd say yeah i I do it just the way it is and i guarantee you're going to see brian robinson uh, he's going to get a shot to play on sundays there's no doubt about it so it's just an interesting dynamic right uh of what you choose to do and i think a lot of it is just you know kind of the mentorship who who are you talking to who's kind of advising you um and so, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting part of it for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'd also kind of want to know, you know, who's advising Dylan Gabriel because, you know, he transfers to UCLA. Then the, the change takes place in Oklahoma with uh, Caleb Williams going to the transfer portal. So he decides to reunite with Jeff Levy, um, you, you know, and now, he, you know, that's kind of a, you know, me, you know, a dirty thing to do to UCLA, in my opinion. Uh, 
do you think there should be some some sort of say like if you commit somewhere you got to commit and you got to commit to be there for yeah. a, a two years or so something that's what we just talked about yeah. so there's no rules right so you get a one-time transfer but I mean, on Twitter, anyway, Gabriel said, I'm going to UCLA. And then, as you said, you know, what is it, a few days later or five days later, he's going to Oklahoma. And obviously, you hit on it. That's a Jeff Levy thing. I mean, that's why he's going there. Um, and knowing Chip Kelly the way I, I I do, he's probably like, okay, fine. You know, I'm, there's other players out there. And he probably wasn't happy, but that's the world we live in. And then, so you look at it. So now, Caleb Williams, to me, I, I don't think he's said it yet, but. He's got to be going to USC. I did a USC game this year. Both their quarterbacks have now transferred, right? So Jackson Dart is leaving. He's in the transfer portal. I don't believe he picked a school yet. Um, Keaton Slovich is going to pick. So they both leave USC, So which opens the door wide open for, for Caleb Williams. So, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's crazy, especially at the quarterback position, no doubt about it. And uh, getting back to, like, uh, during the bowl season, you know, there was a lot of, you know, it seems like year after year there's being more made of players opting out to protect their, you know, future professional careers. Uh, you know, as a guy who's played the game, where do you where do you uh, fall on that? I mean, I don't like it, but I get it. I get it. I mean, the money for these guys that are, that are going to be bona fide first-round picks uh, – you know, I, I, I understand. I don't like it, but I understand it. And, like, who am I or who are any of us to tell a young man and his family, no, no, you have to play in this bowl game um, because you, you could potentially get hurt and, and, and lose money. So that's not my place. It's not any of our places to do it. I'm an old-school guy. I wish they would play and finish it out, but I understand it. So, unfortunately, Jeff, I don't think it's going to change. And I made this comment on a show this year And they looked at me like I was cross-eyed. I said, it's just a matter of time. So, you know, we saw kind of the the lower-tier bowls, and then it kind of moved up to the mid-tier bowls. And now we're seeing, right, New Year's Six bowls, guys opting out. It's just a matter of time until someone does it in the playoff. It's going to happen. I don't want it to happen, but I'm sure it is. I mean, we're going to get a guy that they say, you're a bona fide number one pick. You're going to get X amount of money. You don't need to play in this game. And the family's going to get together and say, yeah, we're not going to play. I, I just, I, I sense it. That's the direction we're going at. And I hope it doesn't happen. And maybe if we can go to a 12-team playoff, that'll that'll keep more interest with the players. But, again, I don't like it, but I understand it. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the, the, the lower tier bowls and things like that. And I know people are saying, you know, you know, you know, we should use the, the, the college football playoff to, to, to use some of these bowl games and some of these other bowl games can go away. I find it interesting, like, to me, the Gasparilla Bowl was a, was a great example, you know, getting that regional matchup. And I know yeah. all these bowls have these conference affiliations, but if they could restructure it to have these regional games be played, you know, you look at what it does for attendance and, the, and, 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 and for the TV ratings, I, th- I think that would be a, a tremendous thing to, to happen. Yeah, listen, the Bulls aren't going anywhere. And take it from someone that does lower and mid-tier Bulls every year. Um, The ratings are phenomenal. Um, I did the New Mexico Bowl this year. It was UTEP who hasn't – UTEP hasn't won a bowl game, I think, since – I want to say 1961. So a little bit of a drought, right? Um, (laughs) But they were excited. They were passionate. Uh, Their coaching staff, their players were excited to be there. And they played a very good Fresno State team um, who really had a great year. Uh, I think I think, and that was that very first Saturday of bowl season, December eighteenth. I think we had one point eight million viewers 
and there was we were against there was like three or four bowl games on at that time so you know you get over a million that's a good number on a saturday afternoon when there's a lot of other stuff going on the bowl games aren't going anywhere because people like them people watch them but i do agree with you i think like the gasparilla when you can get those local matchups right those regional matchups that does wonders for for uh, attendance in, in in the stadium no doubt about it i mean the, the Gasparilla Bowl is a, a great look at that. So uh, so I think they're, they're not going away. Now, I do think if you go to a 12-team playoff, you can incorporate some of the other bowls in it. I don't think you're going to incorporate any of the lower bowls, but some of the bigger bowls you can probably incorporate in it, and I don't think they'd be against that at all. So there's a system. You just get, They just have to sit down and figure it out. But I just, you know, there's a lot of party poopers out there. Like, I, I know Danny Cannell. Um, I've talked to Danny a bunch, and I know he, he got – Danny likes to he, – he, he likes to troll a little bit on Twitter. When, yes. when people go after him, he doubles down. And I know he said there's way too many bowls, but the ratings are what they are. They're not going anywhere. So we're going to have between, you know, counting the playoff, you're going to have between 40 and 44, 45 every year. I don't see it going away anytime soon. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a walking contradiction because I will say there's too many bowl games that I'll – damn near watch every one of them so well, so here's the problem that's it right? and the thing is Jeff and I tell people this all the time bowl season happens at the perfect time right it's it's December it's the holidays a lot of people are home from work um, and so people put the TV on right and they just they have family over or from out of town and people are sitting around up north it's cold out and they got fires going and they just kind of put the TV on in the background and what are you going to put on you're going to put on a football game and so it's kind of always on, right, in the background. You go into a sports fan's house during the holiday season, they got football on because it's on all the time. And I think that really helps the ratings. And, and it kind of, I think over the years, it's just kind of become like a holiday tradition for people in their homes. It's like it's holiday season. We're decorating the tree or we're getting ready. We're putting we're putting you know presents out. And no, we got football on the TV. So I, that's why I don't think the ratings – are ever going to really decline to the point where they're not going to put them on TV anymore? And uh, and again, and we we end up we get some really good games, uh, you know, with the lower balls that you, you just you just don't know. You know, I think you know, for instance, the Cure Bowl here mm-hmm. uh, with Northern Illinois and, and Coastal Carolina was a really good bowl game. Uh, you know, the 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 Purdue game really good this year. I mean, a lot of good games. So. At the end of the day, I think people just want to watch football. So that's why I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah, and you said the key word, ratings, because I know everybody says, well, you know, you look at the attendance of these games, but there's a reason ESPN owns all these bowl games, because it's programming for three weeks in December, and they get get revenue from that. Yeah, and I mean, it's as simple as that. If people people didn't watch, they'd go away. I mean, because then you'd be losing money, but... It's the ad revenue, and, and you're right. It's it's not uh, the, obviously the local communities and, and the organizations that put on the bowls. They want butts uh, in the seats, obviously. So that's why going back to great regional matchups. I mean, the Gasparilla Bowl. I mean, that bowl committee must have been on cloud nine. <laughs> you know, they couldn't have dreamt of having a better bowl matchup, a better crowd. I mean, and then. And of course, we know it helps the local economy and the vendors out there and the vendors in the stadium. It's a win-win for everybody. And then you have the ratings on top of it um, for advertisement. And then, you know, the Bulls being able to advertise their local charities. And so it really is 
a win-win for everyone. I know, again, I, I did the New Mexico Bowl, and I got feedback from people from that bowl committee, and they just, you know, they, they thanked us, and the commercials that were run, and then the added tidbits that us as broadcasters can add on, and it helps tourism. I mean, it helps everything um, during bowl season, and that, again, they're not going anywhere. So uh, before I let you run, give me uh, what what would be your favorite moment from this past college football season? Maybe uh, maybe the favorite uh, game that you covered uh, uh, during the course of the season. Well, that's a tough one. Um, well, my favorite thing, and of course it got ruined in bowl season, but the favorite thing was an uninterrupted regular season. Right, we played all our games, and, and really just to see the crowds back, right, and just the passion of college football. Listen, I'm biased because I call college football games, but to me, there's no better team sport in the world. Um, I just, you know, I think it's even better than the NFL in terms of the, the passion and commitment of the fan bases. It's incredible. So that was my favorite part, just just having it back in full force, right, as opposed to last year. As far as games I covered, you know, I had uh, Pitt Syracuse ended the, ended the season for me, and I, you know, uh, Kenny Pickett had such an outstanding year, uh, and he's going to go on and have a great NFL career. So, you know, probably because I'm old and I can't remember back too far, so that one was was a fun one for me to call. But it was just really to me just kind of having an uninterrupted season and, and getting through it with the good crowds um, is what I'll remember from this year, and hopefully next year. We can push through this damn COVID and and just get back to normal. I don't even want to say I hate Jeff. I hate saying new normal. Bull crap. Let's we're gonna get back to normal. <laughs> we just gotta just keep pushing. And I think we're close as a society. I really do. And I think next year when football season comes, I, I honestly think maybe I'm just too optimistic. But I think the page will be completely turned. And we're onward and upwards with our lives. Well, I love your optimism, so I'm I'm, I'm following you on that bandwagon, sir. All right, <laughs> Randy Angoli of ESPN. As always, it's uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. And now let's close things out with a TV theme. So that was the theme from the Mary Tyler Moore show. And the reason I selected that, uh, you know, last year I played, you know, the Golden Girls on Betty White's 99th birthday. Of course, uh, wanted to pay honor to her on this segment this week. And so she was not only the last surviving member of the Golden Girls, but she was also the last surviving regular cast member of the Mary Tyler Moore show, believe it or not. Mary Tyler Moore ran from uh, September 1970 to March 1977. Um, 
Mary Tyler Moore starred as Mary Richards, an unmarried independent woman focused on her career as an associate producer of the fictional WJM news program in Minneapolis. At that time, a central female character who was neither married nor dependent on a man was pretty much a rarity on American television in the 1970s. And that led to numerous publications citing uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show as a groundbreaking series in an era of second wave feminism. And again, this uh, amazing cast, um, you know, Ed Asner played her boss, Lou Grant. He passed away uh, in 21, as did Gavin McLeod, who played Murray Slaughter, the writer. And of course, later as Captain Steubing on the Love Boat, uh, Ted Knight, Georgia Engel. Uh, Valerie Harper was a was a neighbor and friend before her spinoff as she played Rhoda Morgenstern. And Cloris Reachman uh, was also uh, on that show and had a spinoff called Phyllis based on her Phyllis Lindstrom character. And Betty White. Uh, man, uh, she played Suanne Nivens, who was the happy homemaker. So, was the, so the, that was... Uh, Interesting aspect, and she was kind of bawdy, had the hots for Lou Grant, and and she was one of those who was smiling your face and then talk about you behind your back. <laughs> and she played that character so, so well. Um, Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, they won 29 Primetime Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series, three years in a row from 75 to 77 and who can forget that classic ending scene where they're all in a group hug and walk together in that hug trying to get out the door at the end so wanted to play that in honor of betty white who was just shy of 100 years old when she passed away at the end of 2021 and uh the 17th coming up in a few days from the recording of this podcast would have been her 100th birthday and i know the movement out there uh, for uh, to honor her is to make a $5 donation to a pet rescue. So uh, as a pet lover myself, I get behind that and encourage you to do the same as well. So I hope you will uh, undertake that endeavor coming up on Monday, January 17th. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.